Proverbs chapter 18, starting in verse 20. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Life and death are in, or death and life, excuse me, are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. I can picture right now in my head the game board. I can see its worn out spine from being opened and closed so many times. I can picture those little cardboard figures, you know, that you jammed into the little plastic base. And I can imagine that spinner. You know, as a kid, you tried to flick that thing so hard. And most of the times you just ended up whacking the cardboard base or one of your pudgy fingers got in the way. Then you ended up in that debate with one of your siblings. Did that count as a spin or not? Shoots and Ladders was one of my favorite games as a child. I loved it. It was simple. Just obey the rules and eventually you'll win. It was a good day when I got to play Shoots and Ladders. It was a better day when I won Shoots and Ladders. It was an amazing day when you landed on that one space at the bottom of that really long ladder that went almost from the bottom of the game board all the way to the top. I confess, as Tim Stout has accused me of, I never jumped my piece to the top of the board. It always strutted up that ladder so I could marvel in the glory of that moment. The opposite of a game like Shoots and Ladders is something like chess. If you think you're going to be a good chess player just because you know the rules, well, you're going to be disappointed. Knowing the rules to chess is only the beginning. There's strategy involved. Not a lot of strategy in shoots and ladders. Some people, maybe even well-intentioned people, would like to compare life to shoots and ladders. Everything is just a matter of rights and wrongs, do's and don'ts. That They just want to boil it all down to asking, is it sin, is it not? Is it lawful, is it not? But I think what we find is that life is a lot more like chess. Now, good strategy in chess does not ignore the rules. Of course, it's going to take and it's going to apply the rules, but chess is more complicated. There are nuances to it. I have to be prepared and, and, and make changes based upon what comes at me. The strategy of chess, I think, is a lot like what we find as we look at the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. Life is not just a simple matter of asking, is this sin or is it not? God had given to his people his perfect law. It could not be added to, taken away from what God intended for that law to do. It did perfectly, and yet his people still needed wisdom. They needed wisdom to know how to apply that law to the practical aspects of everyday life, but there were also a bunch of aspects of life where just asking, is this sin or is it not, was not enough, right? Uh, Most of us, when we go to pick a career, um, we're not asking, well, should I be a drug runner or a bank robber? I can't really decide. we, We need more than just to ask, is this a morally acceptable thing to do or not? What do we need? We need wisdom. Should I get married? Should I not? Should I go to college? Should I not? What career path should I pursue? There are on and on the questions go in regards to life. And for those things, we need wisdom. And that's where we find ourselves this morning, looking at the book of Proverbs in regards to wisdom. Now, what is wisdom? Well, I like Gerhard Benrad's definition of wisdom. Wisdom is competency in regard to the realities of life. Wisdom is competency in regards to the realities of life. It's simple, but it's a good definition. Wisdom doesn't ignore reality. I think one of the reasons we don't talk much about wisdom is because we live in a day and time where we think we can create our own reality. Let me put it to you this way to go back to the illustration. If I get to make up the game... If I get to change the rules to the game whenever I want, then guess what? I don't need a strategy to play the game. If I get to make up reality or ignore reality, then it doesn't really require wisdom for me to live life. But wisdom doesn't ignore reality. Uh, Wisdom also doesn't seek to control reality. I think there can be this misconception that the wisest person in the room is always in control. 
But that, that's, that's not the case. Uh, in fact, what we find as you look at wisdom in, in, in wisdom literature is that part of wisdom is understanding much of life is way outside of our control. Many of the circumstances of life are way outside of our control, and wisdom is not about learning techniques to bring everything under control, but rather learning how to live well within the circumstances that life brings to you. Let me say this as well. Wisdom is not a quick fix. Uh, Tim Keller, in a sermon series he preached through the book of Proverbs, mentions the fact that wisdom is a pathway, it's not a door. You don't just, you open a door, you walk in, and boom, you're, you're inside. Wisdom doesn't work that way. It's not something you order off of Amazon Prime, and in two days, there it is on a box, in a box on your front doorstep. Wisdom is a path. It's something you walk over and over and over and over again. It's a process. The last thing I'll mention just as an introduction to wisdom is that wisdom isn't shallow. I used to have this misconception, particularly in the book of Proverbs. You read all these little statements about wisdom and you begin to think wisdom is just, it's kind of like being polite. It's, it's like knowing which fork to use when there's multiple forks on the table. That, that's kind of wisdom. You know how to behave in certain situations and it, it's mostly an exterior thing. But what we find as we look at the book of Proverbs is this plea over and over again that wisdom be written on the tablet of our hearts. Wisdom is something that goes deep down inside of us. Its roots are deep inside and it produces lasting change in our lives. Well, as I mentioned, we'll be in the book of Proverbs this morning and you have some sheets of paper that were on uh, the seats in here. That's because we're going to be looking at a lot of passages and if you want to get out of here before dinner time tonight, then we can't wait for everybody to get to every passage that I'm going to read off. So use that. I was trying to love particularly my note takers by providing those for you so you can scribble on those, take notes on them, or just stick them uh, in your Bible if you'd like. As we come to the section of Proverbs that we'll be in this morning, wisdom comes at us in these short statements. These, these, uh, we use the word pithy, which is kind of fun to say. These short statements, they, they sound like promises, but they're not. They're, they're principles. And, and, and there are many commentators have said that they should be treated like hard candy. Now, now, I hesitate to say that because if you're anything like me, you get a piece of hard candy in your mouth. And even though you told yourself before you put it in your mouth, I am not going to bite into this. 30 seconds later, crunch. Werther's Originals, my grandfather loved Werther's Originals. He always had them in his pockets on Sunday mornings. That was my first kind of connection to hard candy. I used to always ask him for Werther's Originals, and, and he would give me one. My affection was greatly diminished one afternoon as I was riding in my grandfather's car. I don't know why I was in his car alone in the back seat, but I was. It was a huge Crown Victoria with leather seats, and, you know, seat belts were optional, so I'm just back there sliding around as he took turns and things. It was fantastic but I had a Werther's original in my mouth. And I don't know what happened. All I know is that that candy went to the back of my throat and I thought, this is it. I am going to suffocate on a Werther's original and my dead body is going to be sliding around on the leather seat in the back of my grandfather's Crown Victoria. Hard candy, got that in your mind now? Hopefully, don't, don't picture the dead body. That's, I survived. By the way, I'm here. It's all okay. It probably wasn't that big a deal. Maybe more than a Werther's original, a gobstopper would be a better way. That, that type of candy that, that the longer you keep it in your mouth, the more flavor comes out. That's the way these statements are in the book of Proverbs. Well, what we're going to look at this morning is the second most discussed or addressed issue in the book of Proverbs. Right behind wisdom itself, Proverbs deals with the tongue. It deals with our words. So there's no way this morning that I can say everything the book of Proverbs has to say about the tongue. Not only that, of course, it wouldn't be very smart. What I'm attempting to do this morning is extremely dangerous, right? I'm a pastor. Much of what I do is talk, and I'm going to give a sermon about how we should be careful with our tongues. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is addressing some of the Pharisees, responding to them, and he says this, 
either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. One of the first things that I want us to see this morning is in regard to the source of our words. And that this one fact that the source of our words is the content of our hearts. The source of our words is the content of our hearts. Now, you're likely familiar with those words from Jesus as he spoke them to the Pharisees. Maybe some of the kids in here have had your parents quote that to you after you've said something you shouldn't. You were arguing with one of your siblings and they told you it's out of the abundance of your heart that your mouth speaks. When Jesus spoke those words, he wasn't making up something new. What he was saying wouldn't even have, even have been new to the Pharisees. What Jesus was saying was something that's found in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs talks about this. It talks about the fact that, that our words are the fruit of our mouth. So in Proverbs chapter 14, excuse me, 12 verse 14, it says, From the fruit of the mouth a man is satisfied with good, and the work of a man's hands come back to him. The passage that we read this morning, Proverbs 18, verse 20, from the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. So our, our words, our mouths are producing fruit, but what's the source of that fruit? Well, Proverbs 15, 28 says, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. So it's the heart that's pondering and then the mouth that's responding because there's a connection. What's going on in the heart comes out of the mouth. Proverbs 16, 23, the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Why is his speech judicious? Why is it persuasive? Because there is wisdom in his heart. Proverbs also brings this out through parallels, taking two things and laying them side by side and showing us that there's a connection. So in Proverbs 15, verse 7, it says, The lips of the wise spread knowledge, but not so the heart of fools. So the heart of the fool is laid next to the, the lips of the wise person that spreads knowledge to say, if someone's lips are spreading knowledge, it's because there's wisdom in their heart. And if someone's heart is foolish, then they will not be spreading knowledge because there's no place to bring out that wisdom from. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 20, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. Now, this idea that the content of our heart is the source of our words in some ways may seem kind of abstract. It's like out there, or maybe it's just like a, a theological point. But if you stop and you consider the wonder and mystery of language for a moment, you realize this isn't abstract at all. Language is amazing. I mean, I have thoughts. I do. I have thoughts. I've got desires. I have, I have emotions. I have things that go on inside of me. I have a will. And the way that I express that, that I give that life outside of me, is through this incredible gift of language where I take those thoughts, those desires, those emotions, I clothe them in sounds made by my throat, tongue, mouth, and they come out and spoken into community. They now have a life of their own. I have an idea in my head. I put it into words and I speak it out. You receive it. And now that idea has a life in your mind. If, if you were listening. It's incredible. What's in here comes out here through my, through my words. It's not that abstract at all. And in fact, I would argue that, that it's deeply connected with our image-bearing nature. Our God is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we are told in God's word that God the Father sent forth his what? 
His eternal word, God the Son. And God the Son, as He appears, is what? The exact representation of all the glory of the Father. The source of our words is the content of our hearts. Now, again, you might be saying, okay, you've stressed that point, but I knew that already coming in this morning. Listen to what Proverbs 27, 19 says. As the water face reflects face, as in water face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects the man. We could do a fun activity this morning and I could go around to every single one of you and I could ask you, what's your heart like? What's, what's your heart like this morning? Now, when I talk about heart or when scripture talks about the heart, it's not just talking about emotions or the gushy, mushy stuff that you feel towards someone. It's talking about that, that control center of the person. It's talking about that, that, that core of who we are that drives our thoughts, that drives our desires, that, yes, even drives our emotions. And if I went around this morning and, and I asked each one of you, what's your heart like? We could come up with all different standards to decide what our heart is like. If we listen to uh, our culture, it would tell us that, that anything good that goes on in our life, that's when we were listening to our heart. Following our heart, that, that's, when, that's when we're really crushing it in life, is when we're following our heart. Because there's this idea that the bad stuff is what's on the outside, and it's the good stuff that's on the inside. So if I didn't tune myself to my heart a little more, then things would go better. But think about this connection that Proverbs is making. Just like you don't use some subjective standard to judge your physical heart, and the doctor holds up an objective standard to judge that, so the book of Proverbs gives us an objective standard to judge the content of our heart, and it simply is this, listen to the words coming out of your mouth. What's coming out of, out of your mouth? I probably have to back up and say this because of the culture that we live in. How often are you stopping to consider the words that come out of your mouth? Our world is filled with words. We are either producing words or taking words in all the time. In fact, you can, if you're like me, you can feel guilty when you're not consuming words. Wait, there's a moment of silence? Unless I'm remembering some tragedy that's happened or somebody who's died or I don't know. I, there can't be. I need to listen to another podcast. I need to be watching the news. I need to read another blog post. I need to open another book. Or I need to be talking, sending another email, making a phone call, sending another text. We're so busy using words that many times we fail to listen to the words that we are producing so one of my encouragements to you this morning would be stop, stop, find quiet, and listen and consider the words that are coming out of your mouth. Because the book of Proverbs says that as we consider the words that come out of our mouth, we will see the content of our hearts. The source of our words is the content of our hearts. Second, the power, the power of words. Proverbs 18, 21 that we already read this morning says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now that verse was a memory verse one year for VBS when I taught. And so when I think about that verse, I always think about a bunch of little kids um, we made them stick their tongues out and try to say that verse. I think of that, see the thing is this, like this. And it was ironic to have these little kids doing that or doing motions or trying to say the verse in a British accent or something like that because the lightness with which we were trying to get them to memorize the verse didn't quite compare with the seriousness of what is being communicated. Death and life are in the power of of the tongue. The book of Proverbs, uh, I believe, was studied in community. I don't think the book of Proverbs was something that uh, 
was given out and you went and you studied off by yourself. Uh, the way I understand it, uh, it was studied in community. And as you read the book of Proverbs, much of wisdom as it unfolds is about how to live life in community. I say that because I think the immediate application, the, the meaning of, of this proverb directly connects with community. Our words can produce the fruit of death. I probably, sadly, do not have to strain this point this morning. Each one of us can probably testify to a relationship that is either bleeding because of words or that has already bled out because of words. Proverbs 11.9 says, with, the mouth, with his mouth, the godless man will destroy his neighbor. Proverbs 15.4, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Proverbs 12.18 says, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. What an image. Sword thrust. Words go in deep. They might not kill us, but they certainly just don't sit on the surface. Words hit home with us, and they can produce death in relationships. We've probably all been there in that moment. There's something that's come up in a relationship. It's, 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 it's tense. There's, there's a conflict of some sort. And into that conflict, words then begin to be spoken. I can think of multiple times with my wife, with my kids, where I was in that moment, and I knew the next thing that I said was going to have a profound impact on what happened. And instead of speaking a word of life-producing fruit, I grabbed the sword and thrust one more time. The death is not just for those who hear the words, but also for the speaker. Proverbs 12, 13 says, An evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips. Proverbs 14, 3 says, By the mouth of a fool comes a rod for his back. Proverbs 18, 6 and 7, A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin and his lips are a snare to his soul. Proverbs 29.30 says, Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Now, if you study the book of Proverbs and you ask the question, what hope does the book of Proverbs give for a fool? You will find that there is none. And yet this proverb tells us that there is even less hope for someone who is rash with their words. I often joke with the students about the fact that I did fifth grade twice. It's an amazing accomplishment. Not many people can say that. I mean, there are Olympic athletes, presidents, I mean, you name it, they can't say they did fifth grade twice. Part of the reason I like to joke about it is because it's taken me so long to get to that point where I could joke about it. I switched from private school to public school, and one of the reasons that I switched was because I needed to go to LD classes, learning disability classes, which at our fine elementary school took place in what used to be the janitor's closet. Now, this isn't a story about how some bully picked on me every day and is the source of all the problems that I've ever had in life. Although that would be nice because I got a lot of problems and it'd be good to peg them on somebody else. But I will tell you this, words were spoken from outside of me to me that I heard and that sunk in. I was dumb. I wasn't a good reader. I was a horrendous speller. Unfortunately, that hasn't changed. I couldn't get grammar. I was awful in school. Those words that were spoken outside were accompanied by words that I spoke to myself. 
I would never be a good student. When I saw good students, I said they were different from me. They were other than me. I couldn't do that. Now you say, okay, that's great. This is fifth grade. I didn't stay in fifth grade. I didn't stay in elementary school. It didn't stay in middle school. It didn't stay in high school. It didn't stay in college. Those words followed me. Those words followed me even though I didn't pack them in my bags when we loaded up to go to France so that we could learn French and then minister as missionaries in Senegal, West Africa, those words without a passport found their way because they were deep inside of me all the way to France to where I found myself morning after morning, sometimes weeping and sometimes yelling at God. God, I am too dumb. I can not do this. I can barely function in English. How in the world will I ever learn a second language? Words have power. They have power. Those same words crept up again when the elders said that they wanted me to pursue getting my MDiv, and I thought, secondary education? Not this guy. Do they know who they're talking to? But words can also give life. They can be life-producing. When we were there in France, I don't know if my wife was praying for this, but there was another couple who was there who joined uh, in with her voice as she was already trying to encourage me. This was a couple that we had known before we got to France. I won't mention their names because they're still serving overseas. But they spoke words of life to me. They told me over and over again, you know, you're not even trying because you've convinced yourself you can't do this. You can do this. Try. Get after it. Their words were life to me. And so when, when I was there in Senegal, the first Sunday that I preached a sermon in French, my wife and that couple, their words were fresh in my mind. They had given to me life. Proverbs 10.11 says, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Proverbs 10.21 says, The lips of the righteous feed many. Proverbs 12.25 says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Proverbs 16.24, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Proverbs 15, 4, a gentle tongue is a tree of life. Consider the power of your tongue to impact your life and the lives of others. I think in our day and time, it can be so easy to speak and there are so many opportunities to speak that we can assume somehow that our words are not as powerful as scripture clearly says that they are. Because of the sheer volume of words, we assume that the power of words is somehow lacking. We think that because we have the right to speak, we should always be speaking. And we fail to remember the power of words. Don't just think this morning that because words can be deleted, whether through an app that was designed to do so, or the ability to erase a post, that words can be taken away and their power can be diminished. Don't think that words that are spoken into a digital realm instead of a real physical realm are any less powerful. How much do we feel the weight of this right now? I mean, if you're living in the same world I am, I know that sounds a little scary, if you're living in the same world as I am, again, I don't know that I need to stress this point. Think about our communities around this nation right now and the power of words. Day in and day out, they just keep coming. Words upon words upon words upon words. Many are unwise and rash, and all of them are producing fruit. All of them are accomplishing something. All of them have power. As I studied throughout this week, looking at these Proverbs, I couldn't help but think that some of 
what we are experiencing as we struggle and fight for unity in our culture right now is a direct connection to the power of words that are just pouring forth. And many of them, unfortunately, are not as life-giving as they are death-producing. What about in this church family? Let's bring it in a little closer. What's the fruit of your words about this church family? About the people who are sitting in this room with you right now? You can look around, make sure that person's not here that you were saying something about. What are your words like in the ride home, in the car? Are they life-breathing words to this community? Or are they death-breathing words in this community? What about our families? Fathers, are your words producing life to your children? To your wives? Wives, your words to your husbands, mothers, to your children? What are your words producing? There is power in those words. Kids, listen to me this morning. I looked all over in the book of Proverbs for a place where it said you at least need your driver's license before your words are powerful, but I couldn't find it. There is no age limit that says until you get to a certain age, your words don't have power. Your words have power even now. Our words are powerful. What are our words accomplishing as we speak them out? The source of our words is the content of our heart, and our words are powerful. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. The third thing I want us to look at this morning is the character. Now, the book of Proverbs says a lot about the character of words. We can't talk about all of them, so I'm just going to highlight three. Wise words are honest, gentle, and apt. Wise words are honest, gentle, and apt. We've become so used to lying that it doesn't even phase us anymore. I mean, think about it for a moment. I imagine every single one of us expects to be lied to every single day. Unless it's a day when you're not going to watch television or listen to the radio or go on social media. We just expect to be lied to. We expect that companies are going to lie to us and advertisers are going to lie to us. We are at a place where we expect politicians are going to lie to us. And we are okay with the fact that not only are they going to lie, but they're never going to admit to the fact that they've lied. I don't know about you, but every time someone quotes a statistic to me, I just assume they're lying to me. They're distorting it in some way. We've gotten so used to lying, and yet Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22 says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. What a breath of fresh air it is when someone is honest. What a breath of fresh air it is when you can trust someone to be honest. You see, the book of Proverbs doesn't just say that when we speak a lie out, that that's lying, but it also says dishonesty is when we fail to say things that we should. So Proverbs 10.18 says, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. A commitment to honesty, to honest speech Honest speech is a commitment to the truth, so it makes it different than the use of my speech to earn the praises of people. I, I get myself in trouble there. I, I um, what do we call it, exaggerate? I like to really exaggerate a lot so that the story sounds way better, or the other person who's the bad person in the story, sounds way badder, and their bad is way badder than my bad. And so I, I like the praises of people. I also love being right. Can I tell you how much I love being right? And so way more than my commitment to honesty, 
I can be committed to convincing you that you will be better off, not with honesty, but with being convinced that I was right to begin with. And so I'll sacrifice a commitment to honesty on the altar of the praises of people or on the altar of my own glory. Now, honesty is not me walking around spewing my thoughts, feelings, and opinions and following it up with the statement, well, I'm just telling you, I'm just being honest with you. Honesty is a commitment to truth. Remember, we said in the beginning, wisdom is about a connection with reality. Okay, you really feel that way. Your feelings are only one part of what makes up reality. They are not the center of the universe. Honesty is a commitment to speaking what is true and right. So what do my words say about my commitment to honesty? When I talk to others, when I retell a story, how about this? What is my commitment to honesty? How does it show up when I'm talking about people with whom I disagree? Do I present them with honesty and integrity? If they were standing there, believing in a different position than I do on any given topic, would they agree with the way I represent them? Would they say I've been fair and honest? Are we committed to honesty? A commitment to honesty has to be accompanied with gentleness. Things that don't have power don't have to be gentle, but things that have power need to be gentle. Because gentleness is power under control. Proverbs 15, 26 says, The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but gracious words are pure. Proverbs 16, 21, the, words, uh, the wise of heart is called discerning, and the sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Proverbs 25, 15, with patience a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. I find that when my words aren't gentle, many times it's because I am more concerned about winning an argument than a person. I excuse the rashness of my words and my desire to win the debate because winning the debate is way more important than winning you. We see this all the time. Whether you're watching television or listening to the radio or perhaps a podcast, we hear debates all the time. We see the people screaming, veins popping, yelling at each other, whether it's over politics or sports or some other subject. They're shouting at one another. They're twisting facts. They're quoting statistics. They're not listening to each other. They're screaming at each other louder and louder and louder. Have any of us ever watched any of those things and walked away going, wow, that was really helpful. I have totally changed my perspective now. You know, if you really want to persuade me, if I'm really in error and you want to lovingly correct me, please shout in my face as loud as you can. Be as rash as you possibly can. I love that type of correction. And yet, where do we find ourselves so often? I think if we listen to our culture, we become convinced that if my words are gentle, I won't be heard. Since everyone else is shouting, I need to shout. But the book of Proverbs is clear. It's not the shouting words that are heard. It's the gentle word that has the power to break bones, to persuade rulers. When you think back over it this afternoon about words that have been impactful in your life, I want you to consider that. How many of them were enraged words that were screamed at you? And how many of them were gentle words that were spoken to you and you know that person was trying to win you, not just an argument. Lastly, apt. 
The idea of something being apt means that it suits the circumstances. Proverbs 15, 23 To make an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season, how good it is. Proverbs 25, 11 and 12, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. A word that fits the moment. Guys, we've all been around that guy who got a new power tool of some sort. And he's so excited about that power tool, he wants to use it on every project. It doesn't matter what the project is. Oh, you broke a piece of china, need it fixed? I got a, power, I got a drill that'll fix that. Let's do it. We can be that way with our words. We can want to take and apply our words, our perspectives, our opinions to every single situation. Just because there's an opportunity to speak doesn't mean I should be speaking. Just because I have an opinion on something doesn't mean it should be stated. Just because I'm given 280 characters to express my thoughts on absolutely anything does not mean I should use them. Just because I live in a country that defends my right to the freedom of speech doesn't mean I need to act upon it at all times. When words are many, Proverbs 10:19 says, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. There is something beautiful about the moment when words fit the moment. When words are apt, spoken at the right time, spoken with a commitment to honesty, spoken with gentleness, and they connect with the moment, then you can experience in those moments the beauty and the power of words. It is hard for our words to be apt when we do not know who we are addressing. I find that my words often fail to be apt when the person that I'm talking about is this ambiguous they and them. I find that if I can't ask who I'm speaking to, then many times my words tend to turn towards being harsh. I don't even have to ask if they fit the moment because I don't even know who my audience is. I'm just venting my thoughts and opinions and feelings. How apt are our words Apt words recognize that my words are not my own, but they belong to God. Language is his. He created it. It's not the tool to accomplish my purposes, but his. So the source of our words is the content of our heart. Our words are extremely powerful. And we've only looked at three characteristics, but our words should be honest, gentle, and apt. And if you're anything like me or like the people who heard that I was preaching about the tongue this morning, you are feeling filleted. You're cringing. Before I speak to that, let me speak to a positive aspect of this. Some of you may be here this morning, different ages, maybe because of different things that have happened in your life. Maybe you feel like you've mucked your life up so much you, you will never have a, an official place of ministry or, or maybe you think you're too young or maybe there's some other aspect of your life where you think I'll never have an opportunity to, to have a powerful ministry. Listen to me. Part of what the book of Proverbs is saying to you and part of what I want you to hear this morning is if you can speak, you have a powerful ministry because words carry power. You have the opportunity with every person that you encounter, every time you open your mouth, to have a powerful ministry through the gift of words. Use it. Use that gift. You have no idea the impact that you will have and you can make. Well, now let's turn back to that negative. You've only been dealing with this, I don't know, for the last 30, 40 minutes of being filleted by Proverbs about the use of your words. I've been studying this for weeks. 
So what do we do? We leave this place pounding our chest saying we're going to try harder. I go back to Jesus. In Matthew 12, 33 through 35, when he said those words to the Pharisees, it's out of the abundance of your heart that your mouth speaks. That wasn't just true for those Pharisees who out of the wickedness of their heart, their mouth spoke, and they said that Jesus performed his miracles by the power of Satan. That was true about Jesus. The eternal word of God sent forth from God the Father so that every moment when he spoke, the content of his heart was revealed. And every single word that he spoke was wise. Every single time it was apt. Every single time it was true. Every single word that he spoke his entire life was totally wise, right, and righteous. It was accurate and true. Every single word. All the way to that night in the garden when he prays and he says, Not my will, but your will, Father. All the way to the point where he is beaten and naked and hanging on the cross and he is bearing the wrath of a holy God towards your sin and mine, towards all of the times that we have misused our tongues, sinned with our tongues. All of that is coming crushing down upon him and the father has turned his back on his own son and yet Jesus says, into your hands I commit my spirit. Our confidence is in the fact that in all the ways we fail to use our tongues correctly, Jesus never failed. He accomplished what we could not. So when we sit here this morning and we just look at a few verses from the book of Proverbs and we feel crushed under the weight of wisdom, it's a good thing that we do. Because it would be a worse thing if we left this place thinking, I can do this on my own. I can hack it. I can try harder. I can be better. I can at least go five minutes without screwing up, maybe 10 minutes without screwing up. That's not good enough. The standard is absolute perfection, and only one accomplished it. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're here this morning, and you're hearing these things, and maybe you have not put your faith in Christ, but you're in agreement, yeah, I need to change my words. Let me, let me encourage you. Feel the full weight of what's landed upon you and know that there is no hope for you in just changing some of the words that are in your mouth. Something needs to change in your heart and only Christ can do that. Turn to him. Put your full confidence in him. Trust in him that his death, burial, and resurrection is sufficient for the forgiveness of your sins. And for those of us who are here this morning and we have trusted in Christ, do you hear the loving words of your Father? How loud do those words ring in your ear day after day? Do you hear the loving words of the Holy Spirit who inside of you testifies that you are a child of God? As we just mentioned, it is not harsh words that often motivate to change. Grace-filled, loving words. Would you hear the grace-filled, loving words of a holy God to you this morning who says, you are mine. I delight over you. It is those words that motivate us to run out of this place and say, God, with everything inside of me, I want to use my lips in wise ways as an instrument in your hands. Help me to walk in obedience. It is as we understand the perfect and completed work of Christ and find our rest in it that we then are motivated to obedience. With this great hope in front of us that as that song says, the hymn says, when this poor lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave. Then in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing your power to save. Let's pray together. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? 
He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. Father, if we are left to our own, to our own merits, to our own ability, even just to control our tongues will fail. Your word tells us in James that if any man can control his tongue, he can control his entire body. We are so thankful for the perfect and eternal word, the Lord Jesus Christ, who you sent forth to accomplish what we could not. With our faith firmly planted in him and in him alone, help us to leave this place motivated, emboldened, encouraged to surrender our tongues to you. That you would take our mouths and you would accomplish your will and your purposes, not our own. That this week our words would not be about making much of ourselves. And partly that would be because we have found rest in the fact that you have made much of us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the work of your spirit. I pray, Father, this morning for those who are sitting here, and as I've spoken, they're thinking, maybe they've even got hung up on words that are still like sword thrust in their life. Rash words that are spoken, and the pain and the death is still fresh to them. I pray for the healing and comforting work of your spirit. I pray that the testimony of your words would speak louder than those of sinful man. That they would hear your words of love as spoken through your willingness to crush your own son in our place. And that they would, and that they would accept those words, believe in them, and that you would bring deep healing into their lives. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.